morning, church family. Hi guys. My name is Morgan Tucker. Um, I'll be reading scripture today. The scripture is from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. So let us stand for the reading of God's word. I kneel before the Father, from whom the entire family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all God's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work with us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Morgan. Well, I am also a Wheaton alum, just to let you know. We all have sort of halos. Mine's a little tilted, I, I think. And I met my wife, Chris, my first day on campus. So I love the place. You, you have to know that. Well, I've been thinking for some reason about my father over these past few weeks. You know, I come from West Virginia, and it might be because uh, I used to always call my dad every time West Virginia, the university, would win a football or basketball game, I would give him a call. And they've been winning a lot of games, you know, in the top 10, and, and I would be yelling him a lot, except I haven't, because most of you know that uh, my father passed away uh, just over a year ago. Um, back, back in Virginia, um, you can see his gravestone, it's something like this, uh, Charles Richard Waybright. Uh, December 20th, 1922, dash, December 31st, 2014. Here's what I want you to notice. That little dash between my father's date of birth and his death. Um, it's something that the Reverend Otis Moss back in Ohio uh, pointed out when he did the funeral service of Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, mother. He said, I don't want to talk to you today about the day that she was born or that Mrs. King died. What I want to talk about is that little dash in between. He said, it's in that little dash that you find the meaning of our lives. And he ended with this challenge. What do you do with that little dash that is your life? Well, I've been, I've been thinking about my, my father. He was never known uh, by many people. And yet I think that little dash was a dash that was absolutely transformed and, and directed by the love of Jesus. Uh, my, my father was a, a military man. He was in the old um, Army Air Force uh, back, back in World War II. And then he was, in addition to that, he was a jazz musician. He played clarinet and saxophone in a big band. And, and I think he had a pretty rough life. Uh, before God broke into his life when he was 30 years old and absolutely redirected and retransformed that dash of his life. Uh, some of you still remember my dad before he passed away sitting on the second row with me. He just exuded such a, a joy because I think, I, he wouldn't even tell me as his son all the stuff that he had done 
before he had met the Lord. It was only later that I found out some of it. I think my dad was always just overwhelmed by the fact that in spite of all that had been his life, that God loved him with an everlasting love so much that he sent his son to die for him. And his life was directed by knowing and experiencing the love of Jesus. And and that's what I want to talk to you about today. I, I want to ask that question, what are you doing with that little dash that you call your life? It goes so fast, doesn't it? My dad's was 92 years. It it just goes so fast. And yet it's sort of the bottom line question of this entire series of messages that I've been doing all year, that I've I've been calling uh, be a part of something bigger. Uh, When I call you to be a part of something bigger, what I've been talking about is the God who made the universe knows that things went wrong in Genesis 3 in, in the world that he made. Sin entered the world, but he loves the world. He loves the world. And he's doing a big thing. And when God is done with his work, it's going to be beautiful. All things will be right. All things will be new, including you and me. Hallelujah. And and the whole point of this message, be a part of something bigger, is that remarkably, in spite of the fact that physically our lives are so temporary and we often feel so frail, God is ready to use our lives to further his eternal work in this world. We can be a part of his something bigger. So remember a few weeks ago, I said these frail words that we speak, God can actually use them in such a way that they go into the hearts of people and people give their lives to Jesus. And eternal life comes out of those frail words that we speak. And next week, uh, we're going to come back again and think about the fact that God is doing this work of reconciling all things to himself. He's going to make all things right. He's going to bring peace. He's going to heal the brokenness and fractured nature of our world. And he sends us as his ambassadors of reconciliation out into a place like like this, the brokenness that we see in our own beautiful community here. So uh, we can be a part of something bigger, and I've challenged us to think about our lives in the context of furthering the kingdom of God. Now, I believe all that. And I've been preaching all that for weeks, so you know I do. And yet there is a real danger in a series of messages like this. And that is, you could get the idea that that what God really desires is what you accomplish for him. I think you can get this idea that we have to still continue to prove our value to God by our efforts in making an impact in his world, and nothing is further from the truth. I've written this down for you so that you can see it and and never forget it. There is nothing less Christian than thinking that God's love for you is dependent upon what you accomplish in the eyes of the world. God loves you. And he knows everything about you. He knows all your accomplishments. He knows all your failures. He knows all your griefs. He knows all your joys. And he loves you you. So I want to stop this week in the midst of this series of messages about that dash that is in your life being a part of something bigger and to remind you of the two and a half verses that I pray for you as a church almost every every week. This was one of the first messages I ever preached to you. These verses are found in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 17 through 19. Uh, For those who are visiting, uh, I love this place where God has put me. I love Pasadena. I love the San Gabriel Valley. I love Southern California. I love Lake Avenue Church. 
I love the people of Lake Avenue Church. I hope I say it to you all the time, even for those of you I've hardly gotten to know. I know I would love you if I, if I got to meet some of you, especially up in the balcony. I can almost see you back there. Uh, I love this church, but no matter how much I as your pastor might love you or you might even love one another, I'll tell you this, that love is nothing, nothing compared to the love of God for you. And so I, I know sometimes that's hard for us to believe. So even while I so often am challenging you to do things and be involved in ways underneath all of that, I know that what, what changed the life of my father and made it so that his whole life radiated the joy and love of Christ was that first he experienced the love of Jesus and that his life was lived in response to the love and grace of him. So this is my prayer. We'll put it up here. I'll put it in my words. You can follow it, the real words up there in case I get some of it wrong. But I pray it so often. I pray that you, who have been rooted and established in love, I I pray that you may have power together with all of God's people. I I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And power to know that love that goes beyond our human knowing so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, this is a prayer to know that you are loved. Prayer for power to know that you are loved. Do you see the prayer starts with, I pray that you may have power. Now there's something about the way that the Apostle Paul prayed this for a church in Ephesus that we just don't talk like this in the American church very much. I mean, we, we pray for power all the time. I, I doubt that there's ever a prayer that any of you ever pray that isn't a prayer for power. But it's usually a, a prayer for power to be able to do things. Uh, Sometimes a prayer to break from addictions. Sometimes a prayer to love God more. I think with all the students here, I say, sometimes we pray, God, give me power to remember all those things I've studied. And at other times, students think, Lord, give me power so that some things I haven't studied might come into my brain because I forgot. <laughs> We're always praying for power. Father, may we see your power in the healing, in breaking addiction. So many things that we pray for, for power. But here the thing I want you to see is this. This is not a prayer that we'll have power to do more or to love more ourselves. It is a prayer for power that we might know how much Christ loves us. We we need power for that. There are two words I want you to see. Uh, Grasp and know. I pray that you will have the power to grasp how much Jesus loves you. And I pray that you might have power to grasp how much you might know that Jesus loves you. Let's just think about what I'm getting at here. That word to grasp, and I have the Greek word up there for you that Paul used, has to do with our minds and our understanding. You know, sometimes people can speak things and we don't really grasp what they're saying. We don't really understand it. And so he says, I pray that you'll have power to grasp something that God has revealed about himself. Um, So when you read through the word and you become a student of this word, you read that God does reveal so much about himself. But one of the most foundational parts of what God reveals about himself is that he is love. God is love. And and here in Paul's prayer, the, the amazing thing he wants you to get at is the God of the universe, who is both loving but also holy, knows everything about you and has directed his love to you. 
He lavishes his love upon you and upon us as his people. And Paul is praying that you'll take the time to hear what God has said and that you'd have power to grasp how beautiful and how powerful that is. The other part of this is too, and I, I, I understand this part too, that he won't leave that in our minds, but he says that when we grasp something with our minds, um, sometimes it stays up there and it really doesn't go into the rest of our beings. So he uses this other words, I pray that you'll have power to know. And I think I've written this for you as well. That word is a word of personal experience. And I wanted to put that up there because you and I know that there are sometimes things that people say to us that we, that we grasp it, but we don't feel it. A person can say, I love you, and still you wonder, is, is that really true? And here Paul is praying that we'd have power to know that when Jesus says it, it is real and it is true, and that we would experience it not only in our heads, but in our inner beings. Jesus loves you. Sometimes you need God's power to help move what is in your mind as you become a student of the word from the head down into your internal being. Paul's prayer and my prayer is you might both grasp and know that Jesus loves you. I've got to say this too. One of the most exciting things about being a follower of Jesus, and I've been one for a long, long time, is that no matter how much you grasp and know, there's always more to grasp and know. I want to say this to long-time church people because sometimes when I preach a, a sermon like this, people will come up and just say, ho-hum. Uh, they don't say that, but they think that. And um, <laughs> we've heard sermons like that before, Pastor Greg. We know all that. Why don't you get beyond all of that? I just want you to know that if you feel that way, that, that, that grasping and knowing something about the love of God for you, you've already got that nailed. I don't think you've ever encountered the love of God. Amen. Because no matter how much you grasp and know, there is more to grasp and know. Um, when you read God's word, it hits me over and over again uh, when I read it that the God who made the universe who is holy knows me and he declares to me that he loves me. It's hard to grasp at times. And I'll tell you, there is always more to experience. And I think about the apostle Paul. You know, the one who wrote this is a man who long before he wrote it had been involved in killing Christians. And then one day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what would you think if you meet the God and you've been involved in killing his people, don't you think he's going to come in and zap me here? He's going to destroy my life. But that's not what he experienced. He experienced the love of Jesus, ready to forgive him when he responded in faith to him ready to come into him through his Holy Spirit and amazingly for Paul, ready to set him to usefulness to serve him in amazing ways he could never, never quite get over it. He was one who needed power to grasp and know the love of God. Jesus took that little dash of the Apostle Paul's life that had been lived for himself and redirected it and transformed it. And Paul, I don't think he could get, ever get over the fact that even while he was yet such a sinner, Jesus had died for him. Now you've got to get hold of this because this is, I think, the main thing that sets our Christian faith apart from just pure religion. Uh, because in religion, you, and we can engage in religion at a church too, right? We can come in, okay, this is what I got to do uh, to see if God will bless me and give me a job or whatever. I'll show up at church. I'll listen to this sermon. Okay, I've got to get into a small group. Check, check, check. That's religion. 
It, it is technique. It is ritual. It is things we have to do. But the Christian faith is not about that. It never starts with me and what I do. It is always that first he loved me. And when I experience that as, as my father did, it begins to transform everything because we just have to live in response to it. Paul, Paul wrote about that in Romans. He took 11 chapters to talk about how much we need mercy. And then God shows us mercy in spite of ourselves. And so in chapter 12, verse 1, he just breaks out. and He says, so in view of this mercy, in view of the love of God for us, what can I do? I have to offer my body to him as a living sacrifice. That's how I worship. I've got to offer my mind to him. As, that is my act of service. That is my act of worship. See, Paul tells us that what our Christian faith is about is to live in response to the love of Christ. Then he tells us how to live. But he always knows it has to start here. I'm going to pray for you that you might grasp and know how much Jesus loves you. Now, now, now the big question that always is in a sermon like this is why do we need power simply to know that somebody loves us? And again, I think Paul knew why. You know, at the end of his life, you could read about it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he claimed that he was the worst of all sinners. He was the chief of sinners. In other words, if Paul had come to church, he would pretty much be saying to us all, if there's any hope for me, there's hope for anybody here. And yet he had found hope, and he found a new life in Christ. But I am just sure that he knew and, and experienced, too, what I so often experience, and I'm sure you do as well. You and I so easily revert back to this thought that even though God says it is all by grace and all from his love first, we go back and still think, but, but still, I've got to earn that love. Um, I'm only as good as I've been today. Um, sometimes I feel that as a preacher, you know. Sometimes I think, I'm only as good as I preached the sermon today. So if there might be one that's good next week, you come back and I think, well, that wasn't quite as good. Well, then I think, then you don't love me as much. That's the way we think. We need power to know that Jesus loves us. Here's, here's the way I think it works. In our spiritual lives, we, we know that God is not only loving, but he's holy and he's perfect, right? And then we go look in the mirror and we know ourselves. And we know that, that we are not holy and perfect. And then most of us who go to church, I think especially 11 o'clock service at Lake Avenue Church, most of us know that God knows Amen. that we are not holy and perfect. And then we just wonder, how could it be possible that he loves me in this way? Uh, I remember um, when I was a university president, um, I would meet with our student leaders and, and sometimes, and I remember particularly one, but sometimes the students would open up their lives to me. I think even as a university president, I was more of a pastor type than a president type. I, I think so. But I remember uh, one of the days when we were going around the table and the students began to open up their lives. And really, these are ones who wanted to be a part of God's something bigger. These were committed followers of the Lord who wanted their lives to count for God. And then they began to share, the president, they would say, uh, you know, even before we came here, there were such scars in our lives. We came here with addictions. Many of them we still haven't been able to break. Sometimes sexual addictions. Sometimes chemical addictions. Sometimes areas 
of their lives um, that they couldn't control. So they were, were resorting to cutting and, and so, so many other times to, to eating disorders. Uh, they would say, but we've grown up in a home where everybody expected us to be perfect and we know we aren't. And we're not perfect before God. Do you know what those students needed? They needed power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a hug. Powerful hug, Don. Power to grasp and to know that God knew all of that and he loved them with an everlasting love and was ready to start on with them again and would never give up on them again. And it's not just students in Chicago. Amen. It's kids here in California and it's students here too and it's great, great grandparents. We need to know the love of God. Amen. We need to know the love of God for us. And that's why I so many times pray this. We sometimes wonder, is it possible that God, knowing everything about us, could possibly love us? And he does. And so that's why I pray this for you. I I pray that you, who've been rooted and established in love, you've heard about the love of God, you've been brought into a community of faith where all people experience the love of God, I pray you'll have power to grasp it and to know it, and it will change your life. Which brings me to the next point I want to make. When you experience this love, it's a love that changes your life. And if you look at verse 19, this incredible phrase, I want to show it to you. You've got to think about it. I pray this for you so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing language? Do you think you understand that fully? I don't. I don't grasp it all yet. Sort of blows me away to think, I look in the mirror and I'm going to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you think that way about yourself? What is he talking about here? I can only take you as far as I have come. Uh, I read in the book of Romans uh, that even though we've fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus came to cleanse us of our past and he's given us the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, and he's beginning to work in us that when he's done, we are going to be, in his languages, our lives are going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Uh, Paul's language here is not that. It is much more to become complete to become whole, to become mature, what what we were intended to be. Because the Bible tells us that you and I were made in the image of God. But ever since sin entered this world, uh, our lives have been ruined and messed up. They're not what they should be. So, So every honest person will admit that there's something lacking, there's something missing, there's something that falls short of what I've been made to be. There are antisocial people I know who may not want to acknowledge that, but for I, I would guess all of us here, you say that there is something missing, there, there, there's something lacking. And God says, yes, there is. And I know all about this. And what I sent my son to do was to cleanse your past, but I'm not gonna leave you where you are. I want to remake your future. It's, it's, what's, it's what's called sanctification by theologians is this promise of God's remaking of your life so that when he's done with you, you and I will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I look at that and I say, how can that be? I I need power (laughs) to believe that. And I know you do as well. And that's why I want to declare to you that I pray this for you. I want you to know Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. No matter what is in your past, he loves you. Okay, I need an illustration for this. Um, 
back in the mid-1970s, I spent a part of the Christmas season in Duisburg in Germany. I was living there at the time. That's uh, Germany's famous industrial area where all of the, much of the economic engine of Europe is driven out of the industrial area of, of Germany. And Duisburg was a city in that. Uh, but uh, because of all of the industry that's there, the, 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 the coal and the steel and all that's in that area, by the time I got to Duisburg, it was no longer a beautiful city. So I have a few pictures here to show you Duisburg in the 1970s. I saw this bizarre landscape of, of smokestacks and slag and polluted soils and filthy waterways. Do you see that? When I told my German friends that I'm going to be spending my first Christmas in Germany, in Duisburg, they said, oh, nein, gehen Sie da nicht hin. No, no, they said, you can't go there. It doesn't reflect upon uh, the beauty of our country, and it certainly didn't. Now, many of you know my son, Brandon, is an artist, and years ago he introduced me uh, to this whole movement, this global movement called reclamation art. I've shown you some of the places in Detroit or Pittsburgh where artists who love their cities don't want to leave the ugliness of pollution and so forth in their cities and crime in their cities. And they dig in and want to change the things in their cities. That actually started, I think, in Europe. And one of the places where a group of reclamation artists under the direction of a group called Latson Partners started focusing on one area of Duisburg, so they had a vision for it. They entered into it. They, got, they rolled up their sleeves. They gathered other people together. They had a vision for what could happen. They wanted to restore the beauty that they saw possible within their home area. Let me show you now what Duisburg is beginning to look like. I wish I could have found one picture I particularly love. They had taken some of these rusted parts of some of the old factories and turned it into a playground for children with slides and swings. It's such a beautiful thing. It is a work restorative work of creative artists. I, I just want to declare to you, you have the privilege to be the object of God's reclamation art. Amen. The book of, of Ephesians, the prayer comes from Ephesians 3, pull back into Ephesians 2, and you see in verse 10, that when we have received Jesus by faith, not by works, because we can't do it ourselves, when we receive Jesus by faith, we become... God's masterpiece, the word is poema in Paul's language, his work of art, that God enters into our lives and will not give up on any of us until he's remade us into lives that glorify him. So I pray this prayer because it all starts here, not by us accomplishing it ourselves. We can't remake ourselves, but the power of God can do what you and I can never do. I pray that you may have power to grasp and to know how much God loves you so that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, how will God answer that prayer? Um, there are a couple of phrases in this. The, the phrase to grasp, I put two more of them up here, rooted and established in love together with all God's people. You see those phrases? So I have two answers for you. How will you experience how much God loves you? Number one, you have to let God tell you that he does. See, that's the grasping part. When you read through this word, it's just so beautiful. God tells me and you again and again and again, I know you have sinned, but I love you with an everlasting love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish anymore, but, but will live eternally. See, he tells you that he loves you. You, you know the oft-told story um, of the husband and wife who went in for pastoral counseling. And she says, I don't think he loves me anymore. I don't think, how, how can I ever know that he loves me? And then he, with, with anger, says, why do you say that? I told you that I loved you 30 years ago when we got married. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Have you ever heard that? I, I don't think it's true. But in some of our cases, it might be close to the truth, right? <laughs> the beautiful thing is we are such forgetful people. And, and God tells us. God tells us that he loves us. And the second answer, and here, Lake Avenue Church, folks, this is going to be the, the challenge to us, is that he gives us a community that is to be a community that reflects his love to one another so that when we still live by faith in God and not by sight and we need the touch of God's love from another person, he, he plants local gatherings of his family in the neighborhoods like Ephesus and Pasadena and then commands us, love one another. What did Jesus say? I've got to go. But here's your new commandment. Love one another. How? As, you know, as I have loved you. So that we are to experience this love of Christ within the community of God's people. Let me tell you, uh, so, social scientists are doing research that shows us that people who are going to have their lives changed and have meaningful, lasting relationships that's only possible when they have experienced unconditional love themselves within their family or in some context. Uh, it, it's hard to have a relationship where you show love to another person if you've never experienced it yourself. So, so what's going to happen in our world? as those places that God established in his creation to show love, like the family and many other parts of our communities, are, are becoming so fractured and fragmented that people are often not experiencing lasting love. What's, what's going to happen? I think we'll become more and more dysfunctional. But God loves the world. And so he plants a church like this, and one of the main reasons he plants us here is to love one another. So, so he has these phrases, I've rooted you, and established you in love. And if you read this, it's because there were Christians who had come to faith in Ephesus who loved God, but they didn't love one another. The Jew and the Gentile, they didn't want to be in the same church. <laughs> so that's how this prayer starts. I, I bow before the Father. We all bow before the one Father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Get over it. There's only one God, and he brings you into his family. This is what he says. Now you love one another. It's what Jesus was getting at when the rich young ruler said, there's something lacking in my life. What is it? I've tried to keep the law. And Jesus looked at him and said, I know what's lacking. You have a greater love than me in your life. Just give away all that stuff that you love, all your possessions. Come follow me, and you'll find the life that you're looking for. He had to go away. But P Peter, you can feel the disciples. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. If he left everything behind, he would have been destitute. He wouldn't have had, how would he have survived? Do you remember what Jesus said? If you follow me, I'm going to give you a hundredfold houses and lands. A hundredfold mothers. How would you like that? Look around you. That's what you've got. He's talking about a community of faith like this. So even if we leave everything behind to follow Jesus, we have a community where we've got to love one another. And I'll tell you how important this is. 
Um, having dealt with those students that I mentioned to you earlier before, I see these patterns of perfectionism setting into our culture. I see so many students who become so upset because in their families, you, you just feel like my parents expect me to be perfect. They're not perfect. They expect me to act like I'm perfect with my grades, with my life. And, and so you, you're bound by that. And you get upset with your parents, except then you begin to realize that they experience the same thing from their parents, see? And they experience the same thing from their parents. It's a culture that sets in, a culture of perfectionism. And I'm telling you, it just will ruin your life because you and I know that we're not perfect, right? We know, but God knows it. And he loves you. And the beginning of finding liberation from the bondage of perfectionism, bondage of self-effort, is to simply come and say, here I am. I don't know why you would want me. Here are my sins. Here is my life. And he says, I, out of love, will receive you. Welcome home. Your sins, I will cast you as far as east is from the west. Now, we've got to experience that here in the church family. Uh, If you come and say, well, I haven't experienced that much love at Lake yet, I have a good recommendation for you. If you will love us more, we'll become more loving. See, we'll just sort of grow together in this. God has a lot of work to do in each one of us, but if we will just acknowledge who we are and make a commitment not to give up, not to give up on one another and keep pursuing Christ-likeness together, we will experience the love of God because of that phrase, together with all God's people. Why do I keep wanting us to worship young and old and and across all the ethnic barriers and the money barriers and the education barriers? It's because when we come together simply in Christ, together with all God's people, not only does the world see it and believe in Jesus, but we experience together with all God's people how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I I need you to love me. And you need me to love you. God has given us to one another for that reason. And the thing that actually knits us together is what we're going to remember right now. It all starts with his love of each one of us. We have all fallen short of God's glory. Amen. Anybody want to say, no, I'm not me. I'm still, you wouldn't do it after that sermon anyway, would you? Uh, So we've all fallen short, but now we're going to come and remember how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is for us, that he gave his life in our place. He knew how hard it would be for us to grasp this. So on that evening that he was betrayed, to those who one would betray him, others would abandon him. He still expressed his love for them. He he took out the bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body. The pain of what I'm going to experience in bearing your sin is beyond anything you could ever imagine but it is broken for, for you. And this is my blood. Even, even where it's going to take time for you to find that victory over sin, and you'll need to come again and again, this is my blood. It is poured out for you. So today as our musicians come, I, I want to invite each of us to come to the communion tables here at Lake Avenue Church. What we do, it's, it's the Lord's table. So if you are following Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then come. It is his table, not ours. Come and receive. What we like to do here is because it's a symbol of what holds us together, 
is we like you to come and receive the elements. You'll have tables all around. Come and receive the elements. Take them back to your seats and hold them. If you can't come, um, then our stewards will bring them out. We had a couple of people in the first service who missed. Wave your hands and let them know if you can't get here to come. Also, uh, for those of you who have gluten allergies, all the way to my right, there is one table for you so you can go in that direction. Let me leave you with this passage again. I want you to reflect on it as you come to the communion table. I pray that you, who have been rooted and established in love, I pray that you will have power together with all of God's people, power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is for you. And I pray that you will know that love, though it goes beyond human knowing. And I pray it so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.